it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kierkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer in the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. And that's very much what we do this week as we meet Nick Boots, who we last spoke to in early 2020 after his appointment as General Manager at Stone & Wood. Nick recently moved on from Stone & Wood, having fulfilled his commitment following the sale to Lion, and after a break, has set himself up in a business consulting to breweries called The Business of Beer. It's always interesting when you're quoting from the William Goldman book, The Princess Bride, but it was apt for a podcast with a consultant. To paraphrase the quote, the brewing business is hard, anyone who tells you different is selling something. And in this podcast, we really look at the challenges that breweries are facing in the maturing and highly competitive market post-COVID. It was refreshing to hear Nick talk openly about the challenges that brewers and the industry is facing and the need to really know your business instead of offering quick fix solutions. I don't promise you the answers in this episode. As they say in finance podcasts, this is general advice only and mileage may vary, but I think we really raise some of the questions that brewers should be asking themselves about their own businesses. I hope you find this conversation with Nick as stimulating as I did. Nick Boots, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me again. It, it's great to chat, and it's it, it's one of those funny things. We bump into each other at so many events that I forget when we've had a conversation off mic versus off mic. So I, I went <laughs> back to the last time that we spoke, and it was... March 2020, um, we'll call it the before times. It was, gee, that was even before COVID um, in, in, in a lot of ways, but it was also certainly before the um, Stone and Wood sale uh, when you had, re had just stepped into the general manager of uh, Stone and Wood. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago, mate. Wow. Um, been a bit happening since then, hasn't there? It's so much. Well, again, that, that's why I sort of checked. It, it was the pre-COVID times, but also the the, the, the pre-sale times for uh, your former employer. Yeah, yeah, mate. Um, and look, I've just finished up there this this Christmas gone, which concluded, you know, four and a half um, amazing years. But there was was never a dull moment from you know from the early days when we were you know still. Um, pushing hard as a as a mid to larger independent brewer to to really getting traction um to to covid hitting and you know it was boy there were very tough days and phone calls and you know the 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 pay cuts and everything that came with it because you know while we're a, a large standalone independent brewer at that time you know i, I think the founders of gone on record saying, you know, the business only had a couple of months of cash. So if, if the government didn't come to the party, the JobKeeper, et cetera, you know, Stone and Wood might have been no more um, pretty quickly. So um, that was a really tough period, but the team battled through that amazingly well. And, and then obviously the founders decided to sell the business. And um, uh, and that was a uh, that was a, a busy period of, of significant change. And, you know, I've subsequently done 12 months. 
with the with Lion, the acquirer, uh, and um, that was um, that was my commitment uh, at the time of sale. And um, yeah, I've had a lovely couple of months on the beach with the family, catching up <laughs> on some uh, some sleep uh, after a pretty crazy uh, yeah four or five years. Again, you, you have just uh, you, you've not long left um, Stone and Wood uh, or uh, and post Lion sale and uh, taken a bit of time off, and you've come back. Um, as a consultant, looking at doing some consulting to to the small uh, smaller brewers, what's what's driven that? I, I, I guess you, you've had a you, you've had a career at larger independents and also some of the larger breweries. You were a general manager of Kegstar um, before Stone and Wood, so you've had a you know a high end corporate career, um, not in in a negative sense, but certainly uh, bigger brewers. What's led you to come back as a consultant to some of the smaller brewers? I've really been in a in charm position that when I finished up at Fermentum Stone and Wood and I knew it was coming, um, that uh, I, I didn't have any predetermined plans. I was quite open-minded and I just I just needed a, a break. I was, I was pretty much fried. Um, and um, uh, I got to the point where I said, Look, what do I really want to do? What's my purpose? What's my passion? You know, and it didn't take me too long to start to reconnect with a lot of the independent brewers and the whole indie scene. Uh, and I quickly got a bit of spring in my step in the last few months that, um, you know, I, I probably have lost over the last uh, year or two, um, unbeknownst to me, but on reflection. Um, and it's been a really tough period of integration and and a lot of um that type of stuff, which you know, it's just not my not my scene. I don't find it enjoyable. You know, where I find my passion is around businesses with purpose and and helping uh, independent brewers and other beverage manufacturers um, move um, move onward and upward. Uh, so you know, I then found um, myself receiving a lot of inbound calls from 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 the industry from both those that I've known previously uh, and, and and a lot that I'd never met but had got my details and were were looking for advice and assistance uh, and the the real and of course a whole broad number of topics but the the real summary being very much around um, the commercials and the strategy of of the brewing business um, rather than brewing itself. You know, I'm not I'm not a brewer and I certainly don't profess to be. I'm an uh, avid consumer and I've got a fair idea, uh, but um, there's a lot of rock star brewers out there um, who know what they're doing. But where I think um, my experience, both from Stonerwood, Kegstar, and then, you know, CUB for seven, eight years prior and AC Nielsen and the data analytics you know, I bring all those commercials uh, to the table, which the feedback from a lot of these brewery owners I've been speaking to has been, you know, that's where they're looking for assistance, that they've they've got off the ground, they might even have their first million litres um, under their belt, which is wonderful, but, right, what do we do next? How do we jump that chasm to get to two to three to four million and, and build national relevance? And we're really looking for help and I'm conscious that I'd never profess for for business to go out and spend big dollars on hiring a, you know, a, an exec team at a high price. Um, but what I, you know, do think there is value in doing is actually getting some some advice uh, in a consulting capacity from those who've been there and done that before. So uh, hence uh, the business of beer. 
um, was was born uh, as a business, and um, you know that's the uh, that's the avenue I'm going to take for the for the for the next year or two, and and work with as many brewers as I can to to help them get through what's going to probably be a bumpy couple of years ahead. You you talked a little bit about analytics early uh, at the start of that answer, and you you had a background in in that. One of the things that I constantly observe as I speak to small brewers around the country and you know look at prospectuses for fundraising you know, for, for investment and things and then then also the media coverage is the lack of good data that businesses can rely on everybody references the same data and it's data that you know I, I, I think is pretty flimsy at the best of times, what data do you think there is at the moment? You know, what what data do you rely on, and you know, where do you see the industry now, and where do you see the industry heading based on that data? Yeah, mate, it's a good question. The, the, it's um, it's pretty horrible to to be honest. The where it is at the moment, the whole the data snapshot, uh, particularly um, given the largest retailer in the market. You know, cut off access to it beyond your own brands. Um, when was that? About eighteen months ago, and that. Um, so you've got to extrapolate that data and and make a guess. And then, and even the on-premise environment, the data available there has always been a bit of an Achilles heel to the industry. Um, so in the past, you know, when I worked for Nielsen and I was looking after Lion, this is God twenty odd years ago, making me feel very old. Um, <laughs> that you know. It was it was basically an, an audit, and you had um, you had uh, auditors going around to venues, pulling out invoices from the last month, two months, three months, and physically handwriting down the volume of beer ordered. And it was just, and, and then that was extrapolated up from a sample of a couple of hundred to represent the whole industry. So even that in itself was very arbitrary. Um, but at least month on month. Um, it was it was quite it was consistent. So you actually, if there's an error, the error would continue through the period, and you could actually see the trends up or down. Uh, so mate, that's a long it's a long winded answer to say um, I, I don't have all the answers. There's a whole variety of of sources, and I, I look at them all and I, and I take them with a grain of salt. Uh, but you know my my counsel to to small medium sized brewers is. Yeah, have a look at the direction of of what those those data sources are suggesting. But you know, if you're doing anything less than fifty million liters, which everybody is, um, then um, you don't need to worry because you're only one or two percent, uh, two and a half at that um, of of the market, and there's still another ninety seven and a half. Uh, 98.5% for you to for you to tackle that. Um, I think people can spend too much time digging into the nuances and, and not actually focusing on um, actually just growing growing their business uh, because there's so much addressable market out there. That's a, a really interesting point. Um, you know, it flips it on its head because so many of the references I see, and it's generally, you know, most of the data comes from people who are selling something and quite often it's the idea of the industry as opposed to you know a product into the industry there there, there is a lot of people still drinking beer and it's how to acquire a bigger 
portion of that market as opposed to jumping onto a, an, ind- an industry trend. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, Matt, Matt it is. And, you know, it was really interesting. What Even in, in Stone and Wood days, we, we spent very, very little on, on research and data. You know, it might have been five grand here, five grand there, if you're, if you're lucky. But we used um, our networks, um, our knowledge, our experience. We read free literature like everybody does. And um, we made judgment calls with, you know, with the leadership team. And, and then when we became part of, you know, a big house who, who do actually have a lot, of, a lot more of that data and spend millions of dollars acquiring it, there wasn't a great variance based on on our assumptions and access to all the free data that we had. And, and I actually think if, if people um, make a decision and spend their time and effort then on, on executing that decision and on working on the right new product development and working with your customers, et cetera, et cetera, um, then you're going to have success that way rather than agonising about splitting hairs, whether the share of craft in the market, you know, is 7.7% or 8.2%. It's really here nor there. Obviously, as a total industry, we want to know that we are making headway, but um, as an individual brand or, you know, how XPAs are going versus Pacific Ale versus Pale Ale versus Lager, um, unless there's massive swings, which will show up anyway, you don't, uh, you don't need to know. You don't need to get tied up in the nuances of one percent here or there. Would be my um, counsel. I, I hear you talk about stone and wood. I, I reflect back on two thousand and eight when Pacific Ale was for what became well Draft Ale as it was then. What became Pacific Ale um, was was first launched. There was a real insight there that took the nascent stone and wood brewery in a very different direction to the way the whole other craft industry was going um and you know when you look at it the whole craft industry was jumping on big hops bold bitterness from pale ale to we had the ibu wars and there was something almost underwhelming about draft ale when it first launched in the market because it was a very sessionable beer that was crafty enough to have all of the craft cues, but approachable enough that it was available to everybody. And that was very different to what the whole craft industry was chasing at that time. Um, and it, you know, it really reshaped the market. Um, is that a fair observation that it genuinely was going counter to the way even the, the big brewers were going, but then also the craft brewers were going? Look, it feels that way, mate. I, I obviously wasn't around um, with the boys in those days, but um, they clearly had um, had done a lot of work themselves around the future and, and actually what drinkers are looking for um, and, yeah, went out on a limb to create a style that they thought um, palettes would grow into and, and ultimately that, that has transpired. Um, whereas, again, so much of the data that I think everybody looks at is 
is retrospective data. You're looking in the mm. rear vision mirror. Um, and even I think the big brewers still look at, you know, the alpha beta industry data, you know, and comparing comparing each other. But it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a reflective measure. It's, it's looking in the rear vision mirror. And what I think the Stone and Wood founders did so well is they they look forward and they worked with um, with scenario planners and and. And I know someone in particular who's a, a futurist of sorts and, and worked on about on well, what do consumer trends look like in the next ten years, um, and let's take a punt on on creating a beer that talks to those trends, and and that's what they did. And um, that any that's available to anybody to work through that process if they want themselves, and they don't need to spend millions of dollars on on retrospective data. It, it, it's interesting, and again, I appreciate you can't comment on the early days of Stone and Wood, but you would have seen the thought process um, that I guess kept going um, in in that business. And I remember, God, it was it was still when Brad, Ramey, Jamie, and Ross were with Matilda Bay because I was editing Beer and Brewer, and it may, it may have been before then talking uh, to Jamie about coming back from the US and you know balance he was on the balance 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 and that was when beer wasn't balanced beer was trying to um strike a chord you know it was just, um create an impression as opposed to on, on on the first sip rather than uh i don't even know what you would say about the second or the third you know that sessionability when you're still enjoying yes. it on the second or third um glass as opposed to the the, the first sip and that was a drum that Jamie beat, um, and I don't know. Like it, it almost didn't need a futurist to see that because that's what beer had always been. The trend at the time was that hops were the thing that people were gravitating towards. But it was, I'm actually minded, mindful of the um, quote that uh, I think it was Mark Twain: "History doesn't repeat; it echoes or or it rhymes." <laughs> <laughs> um, is the thing. So you know, it's it, it doesn't directly repeat, but it does have a you know a, a resonance um, that, that that is the same. And you know that was where I saw history repeating itself really, because they made a beer that had the new cues, but still harked back to the best elements that had people drinking beer for generations. Yeah. Mate, hundred percent, hundred percent right, and um, it just takes um, some courage and some some foresight uh, to, um, I guess, to pause what you're doing, um, take a deep breath, and have a look at the state of the market, have a look at the state of your business, and well, what does that look like going forward? Um, and you know that is almost, you know, it's almost wrapped up as a metaphor for where I think a lot of brewers are at the moment. Those who I've connected with in the last uh, three months is they're they're so busy working in their business that to actually pause um, and work on the business and go, all right, where where are we going in the next three to five years? What's our brand going to be known for? What will our styles be? What are our financial goals? Um, that's that's what they they don't have time for, and so many of them have hardly even had a day off since COVID hit. Um, and then when you ask them, you prompt them with those questions, they're like, "Oh, I know this is absolutely critical to our future success, but 
we literally don't have the time and we perhaps don't have the skills to determine that. And, and I think going all the way back to Stone and Wood Foundations, because the boys hadn't started the business, they had time to 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 do all that um, and um, and continue to to monitor and evolve that as as they went through. And I think that's probably part of the secret source of the long term success. Mate, look, looking at where the industry's gone, it, it's interesting. When I went back to listen to the chat that I uh, had with yourself and Ben Summons, uh, you know, three over three years ago. I'd asked the question about what was driving craft beer and, you know, what mistakes the big brewers made. And, you know, we, we came around to the to the talk about advertising and, you know, all beers became the same. And I think we were talking about the Carlton Draft, the big ad and those sorts of things. And, you know, the, the conversation came around to Ben saying there was a commoditization of the beer category. Um, and it lost its soul, and it got driven by marketers, which is, again, one of the things that I banged on about um, very early in craft. But then he went on to say it was all about who could shout the loudest with the coolest ad and the sexiest packaging and those Mm -hmm. kind of things, and it morphed that way. When I reread that this morning, it struck me that that was actually a summary for where I see craft beer has, has gone. It may not be the biggest ad, but... You see, every, you know, every brewer competing in the hype market um, in the same way that the big brewers tried to outdo each other with the advertising, um, and then you know, uh, also the, the the sexiest packaging, which again is something that half the time I walk into a bottle shop and don't recognise what brewery I'm looking at because. The brand is missing to the design and, and, and the concept. And we've got beer packaging awards, haven't we, for the, the craziest uh, out there. So, yeah, creating noise um, is has always been part of beer and and it still is to a degree. But uh, I, I think where you're going there is, and I agree with it, is um, it's okay to create hype and noise and whether you're releasing one limited a, a year, a month, a week, in some cases, you know, if that's actually not consistently building your core business and what it stands for, then for me, you know, you're just creating noise and you're creating cash flow and hopefully you're making a couple of bucks out of them. But I know notoriously limiteds are very hard to make money out of. Um, that um, that's, that's a real concern. You know, they all need to, I think, consistently contribute uh, to a message in the same direction and like you, mate, yeah, I see a lot of cans on the shelf uh, and I go, who is the brewer? And I've got to look on the back in the fine print um, and to, to work out who it is. So while I might pick it up and try that brand, that beer and go, well, that was a, you know, that was a funky beer. It was really enjoyable. Um, but, you know, am I going to go and look for another one of that brewer's beers? I'd like to, but... It might look it might look completely different, and they don't know what to look for. Um, so it's a it's a challenge, and anybody who makes limiteds actually their core business, and and not just a limited part of their of their business, um, needs to make sure they're really clear uh, what they're doing for the long run. Because, and we think we've seen it a bit more recently, is that the hype's gone out of the limiteds to a degree, and there's certainly um, some some lethargy amongst retailers who are just like, you know, they're just over them um, and they're so hard to manage at a store level 
that um, if that's your core business, then you've, you've really got challenges because um, people are sort of starting to turn their nose up at them a little bit. You point the finger there at retailers, I guess. Is it the retailers or is it because I would imagine that retailers respond to what their customers in the store are demanding. So if the retailers have cooled on, you know, an ever never ending, um, you know, parade of limiteds, is that because it's hard for them to stock it when there's no demand from consumers? I, I think it's both. To, to clarify, uh, I think, yes, uh, retailers uh, most certainly pushing back, um, uh, but uh, I think consumers too are going, you know what, I've, I've, I've had some wonderful limiteds and, and I've also had some duds and times are a little tougher at the moment and my, um, and my consumer spend is a little tighter than it might have been a year or two ago, so I'm just going to stick to my small basket of of, of well-known pale ales or whatever the case may be, and um, uh, I'm not going to be too creative and spend 15 bucks on on some beers that I might not enjoy. Do you think it is just the economic, you know, situation that we, we, we've come into post-COVID? Because, again, I, and again I'll, I'll put a um, proposition to you that you can comment on, um, in, you know, proposition in the form of a question you know i remember god it was 10 years ago uh 11 years ago when i was in italy and i'd heard so much about italian beers and how creative they were but i walked into a italian brewery everything was in a different language there was no cues for a non-italian speaker um to work out exactly what was on the shelves um and it was a really hard experience so i was just choosing blind um whenever i would walk in <laughs> i i even as somebody who is deeply immersed in the brewing industry, I can walk into a bottle shop these days and almost have that same feeling of dissonance where I have no clue what the beer is on the shelf that I'm, you know, style doesn't really have any meaning. Um, and I, I can only imagine what it's like for the 95 to you know, 90% of consumers who aren't craft beer people how do they choose um, what to have that isn't just a lucky dip? Mate, you're spot on. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think that's just so important to, um, to remind ourselves that, you know, we're not just making beer um, for ourselves and our mates to drink, you know, um, that the, often the beer those of us in the industry like, you know, is, is in that 5%, very pointy end of the market. The other 95%, of beers that brewing industry people in general turn their nose up at, easy drinking lagers and the like. You know, that's that's where the market is and that's how the big guys are so big and, and powerful uh, that, yeah, we need to remember that I think any balanced portfolio um, has a combination of, yeah, some funky creative stuff um, for that market and to keep your brewers, you know, um, on their game. But um, you also need to have a portfolio of, of beers um, or even adjacent to beers, things like seltzer, et cetera, ginger beer, um, if you argue that's an adjacency depending on how you make it, um, then that all forms part of a well-balanced portfolio that appeals to a wide um, variety of drinkers. Uh, and that's, that's a really important point that I think there's probably quite a few out there need to sit down have that moment to look at the at the business, look at the portfolio, 
uh, and say, you know what, we've perhaps gone a bit too far in this direction. Let's, you know, let's try and straighten up a bit and be more broadly appealing so we have more people walk in our taproom, more people pick up our product uh, on the, the local bottle shop shelves. I guess the internal conflict, of course, with that is that small breweries can be nimble, um, you know, much more nimble than the big brewers. But once they do get into some of the more traditional beer categories, whether it's you know, a, a great lager, they're never going to get the scale that the consumer wants um, to, to, to bring their prices down. And so how do they then, comp- if they can't compete directly on price... How do they compete with something that's a little bit more, for, for want of a word, generic for consumers who go, well, this is very similar to something that costs $20, $30 a carton less? Right, it's, a good, it's a good question. Um, and that is, um, that is a battle. And, you know, clearly the, the overheads of the big guys per litre are, are significantly less. Where I think there is an opportunity is then it goes back to brand, is if I'm creating a liquid that is similar to some of those uh, big brewer liquids, then what is it about my brand that makes a drinker um, want to pick it up? Is it, um, is it about my community connection? Um, is it about um, what we – is it because we're B Corp and what we do about environmental and sustainability? Um, is it, you know, what we do with our, with our staff? Is it um, uh, crowdfunded ownership? Whatever the – Whatever the hook is, that it's an issue across the whole world. Clearly, the big guys can make beer cheaper, um, but how can you get consumer appeal when you're doing a similar beer? Um, uh, is is the question, and there are a number of answers, but, and, and they do very much come down to to marketing and the DNA of the business and what makes it different. And and I tell you what, if the the most common question I ever get asked from people external to to Stone and Wood, both while I was there and since, is you know, you know, how did you guys get the brand to a point where consumers are willing to pay eighty dollars a carton for an English pale ale style being Pacific ale? And that very much comes down to the brand and the DNA and what it's all about. Yeah, I think the product is an outstanding quality beer, but um, uh, did it cost? you know, ridiculously more than any other beer of similar style to make? Probably not. Um, so there's, there's so many other reasons why there was um, why there was the uptake of that brand, and that's the special source. Again, I, I think that brewers um, and brewery owners need to, uh, need to try and find and invest behind. I guess that's the big challenge now at the moment. So, you know, Stone and Wood, we can learn a lot from observing them, but at the same time, 2008 was a very, very different time to be starting, you know, what was a small brewery um, than 2023. You know, it would, be, it would be much, much harder for a stone and wood to start now, I would imagine. Mate, there's certainly different market conditions. There's, there's no two ways uh, about that. But, you know, do I think um, it's possible to, to create the next Bolter or Four Pines or Stone and Wood in in the current market. Um, uh, absolutely, I think it's possible. Uh, it, it can be done. It might have to be done a different way. It might need to be done more patiently. It might need deeper pockets um, to get started. But uh, absolutely, I think it's possible. And I only I look at some of those, you know, brewers that have started up in the last three to four years 
and I go, you know what? They've they're making some really good uh, inroads. Um, you know, the mountain cultures. You know, White Bay there in Rosedale, Balmain, etc. Mm. Um, and there's there's lots more um, that, that I won't mention. Um, yeah, they're off to a great great start. Arguably as good, if not better, than Stone and Wood. Um, so it's then, what do you do next? Is is what will determine, you know, the future for them. Again, and, and, and this is, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to call any particular breweries out um, in, in this conversation, but it's always very hard to see, you know, we, we for example, well, I'll, I'll, we'll name check one because the, the, the story is um, out there. Uh, you know, Ballistic was a business that for a long time people were pointing to as, look at their growth, they're buying multiple venues, they're going national, they're doing billboards. Um, you know, gee, they must be doing well. And when you look at them from the outside, uh, um, it, it certainly looks like they do. But then suddenly they go into administration, you see their accounts, and the reality was that they haven't defied gravity in a meaningful way. You know, at the end of the day, it's a unit cost game. And if you're selling beer for less than it costs you to make and market it, you're not a good business. Spot on, mate. I, I agree, and I'm a I'm a great advocate for for the industry to stop talking about volume. And you know, you you walk around any any conference or a pub full of indie brewers, and you know, how many liters are you guys doing? And oh, half a million, a million, a million and a half, whatnot. That's nice to know, but at the end of the day, you could be doing seven to ten to twenty million liters. But if you're making donut, then it, it doesn't matter, and you know. Only look at you know last week's story around around Black Ops, and there's a business doing, um, presumably doing good volume, um, but bleeding money. Um, you know, so that's that's not success. So perception um, perception is one thing, uh, and I think what we as an industry need to talk more about is, um, you know, the financial stability of of our brewers um, getting through the next couple of years as as both the craft category matures um, and also consumer spending you know is is a little bit subdued um, and making sure the IBA is is a strong well-funded advocate for the industry and I know you talked about that last week um, to Matt on uh, Bruce news um, and I was nodding my head in the car listening uh, then um, they've got to be the absolute keys for us rather than the race to four or five or six million liters because if you you do that and then you you fall over then what's the what's the point and and I guess that that I mean that that's why we're, we're really going scattergun with some of these topics um, that we're talking about today but you know it's it's one of the things that I've observed from my I guess privileged position of look, looking down on the industry without being in the industry in in a lot of ways but then also being deeply immersed in the industry is you know a couple of years ago, every brewer was talking about jumping, you know, that uh, valley of death. You know, that there was a certain scale that you needed as if, you know, if we automatically get to two, two and a half million litres, um, we're suddenly viable. Um, and that was something that, you know, you, you, you referenced Black Ops. They certainly talked about, oh, you know, we're, we're through the valley of death. Um, but there, there seems to be this group think that revolves around certain conflicts that if we do this 
we're fine. If we do this, we're fine. When every business seems to have its own individual sweet spot. And that comes down to where you are geographically um, and what your local market is. You know, what your um, brewery is set up to supply. Did you build your business and was your packaging line valued around supplying the nationals? Um, or was it just around, you know, getting enough beer in the local bottle shop so you've got a bit of a local footprint? There doesn't seem to be one business model that fits every business equally. Yeah, um, you, you're right. And one great thing I've learned in the last five years too is around um, is around balance and is around sustainable growth. Um, and that and that means not actually taking every opportunity that gets thrown your way if your business is not set up uh, is not commercially stable enough to um, uh, to leverage the opportunity that's been given to you i.e endeavor call we want to put your beer nationally um, and you go okay fantastic let's do it you go back to your board and go we need a couple of million bucks to expand the brewery, etc. What you need to people need to understand is, at the end of the day, if if that and that endeavour channel, as an example, could be any retailer, um, you know, there's no guarantee that that ranging will will last forever. And is it really worth stretching um, your business to breaking point to expand production capacity, um, knowing that yes, you might get six or twelve months of of strong sales to 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 fill those stores, but um, end of the day, uh, retailers and the same goes for the on-premise environment. It, it's it's absolutely up to them to to choose what they want to stock and when. And um, it's even if they are to derange a product, and I know there's been a lot deranged more recently. Um, there's only one group that it hurts, and that is. The brewery than the brewery owners. Um, it doesn't necessarily hurt the retailer, and I know they they don't like derranging anything. They that's not in their nature. But at the end of the day, they're running a business, and it's just um, so actually growing in sustainable fashion. Which means if I get an export order for four containers to China and three containers to here, and and there, or I'm a I'm a Victorian based brewer, uh, and I get um, offered distribution in the Northern Territory or in WA, et cetera, um, I, I see so many just jump at it and go, great, it's a sale, it's a sale. I don't care where it is, it's a sale. But um, I think everybody needs to understand is, you know, you need to grow sustainably and then what is the what is the cost of servicing that sale? And actually once you get the new distribution or you sign up to a new independent banner group and you're in, you know, you're in 100 new stores, fantastic, but now we need to put a rep on. Um, and now we need to do that. And then the retailer rings me um, after six months and says, there's a heap of stock here that hasn't sold through. I'm going to send you a claim for 60 grand. And before you know it, you go, oh, crikey, we're in a, we're in a world of pain. So, um, which is why I've always subscribed, you know, since I've come to this realisation with the fact that how do we grow our um, on-premise environment? How do we grow our independent retail, national accounts? How do we grow um, our own tap room um, at sustainable fashions uh, in a sustainable way? And if that means um, saying thank you for the new ranging opportunity, Mr. Mr. Bottle Mart, Mr. First Choice, whoever it might be, um, 
we're flattered by by the approach, but we don't currently have the supply for that. But when we get into a financial position where we can we can create that beer, um, you'll be the first person uh, we call to to get the beer out there. And I, I just don't know of of enough brewers doing that. And I think that's it's fraught with danger when you take every opportunity. That's a huge challenge for brewers, though. I mean, it's a huge challenge for anyone, you know, knowing what you're capable of, you know, keeping your eyes in your own lane um, and not seeing things you say no to as a foregone opportunity as opposed to a, a pitfall avoided. Absolutely, mate. It is <laughs> excruciatingly hard. Um, and I had I had many screaming matches on this topic, um, but at the um, at the end of the day, at the time, it all looked rosy. What could go wrong? But you know, things things always do go wrong. And um, you know, I think you just need to move the pieces forward on the chessboard in a systematic way. And unless you're trying to race to grow your business and sell it, um, then it's worth your while just doing it in methodical. Uh, fashion for the long game and build your business profitably rather than trying to race to an end game which may or may not uh, materialize because you just become you just become so very exposed uh, when you when you overstretch yourself and I think unfortunately I think we're seeing that happen uh, at the moment and I think there's there's probably more black ops style results to come uh, whether we'll hear about them or not remains to be seen but um uh actually um uh, i think there's i think there's going to be a bit more of that as we go through some bumpy times after what was a bit of a sugar rush with particularly in retail during covid and you know hugely appreciated i know everybody appreciated the 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 volume that came from it but um things are returning back to normal now uh and um and it's really hurting because they're still there's still hangover there's, and there's still brewers out there who have spent millions of dollars on production lines that are now 50% capacity. Um, you know, there's a lot of ATO debt out there for excise um, that was paused that still needs to be paid back, et cetera. And um, they're all concerns that, you know, keep me up at night. And I, I don't even own any of these breweries. Uh, so, you know, that, again, that's probably part of my motivation in creating the business is to work with businesses to to get themselves into that strong, stable position um, over this, um, what will be the tough period, and then how do they accelerate in a sustainable way uh, coming out the other side? It, it, it's funny that you say that because I, I am conscious that sometimes I uh, feel like I'm talking down the industry, but it is because my fears for people losing money does keep me, and it's not my money. It's not, and I've, you know, part of me says, look, it's none of your business except I love the industry but it does the the the, the damage that happens to one happens to all in, in 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 some cases and I hate seeing breweries fail um, because it does hurt the whole industry in often mate 100 it hurts the suppliers to the industry um, and then it hurts a new investment coming in and when exactly. you see when you see the tribes and the and the black ops and, and the ballistics you know there are there are investors out there who are probably taking a deep breath now going oh will we do this or will we not and that's you know that's not ideal uh, for for our industry for sure 
And, and that's, again, again, you, you make a good point. I should, I should stress, we've talked about black ops a couple of times. They, they, they've just had a tough period. They're, they're still trading and they're still going. They, 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 they've got a new general manager who is uh, sort of uh, riding the ship, um, as he says. But, you know, when you do look at um, the, the promises that were made for equity crowdfunders, but also, you know, in the case of Tribe, the promises that were clearly made to multi-million dollar investors and the end result is the same if investors get burned capital stays away from an industry yeah spot on it does and yeah i i still think uh, i think black hops have got a a long prosperous future i think great brand great beers love Mm. them and then i'm on the gold coast i'm not too far away from them uh and i mean i caught up with dan for a beer uh, in Billy Pavilion pre-Christmas, and uh, I got a sense that things were a little tough, but I didn't appreciate um, how how tough. But I, um, yeah, I really do hope uh, they get through. Because we need um, we need the black cops of the worlds to to jump over this chasm um, and um, and push on to to four, five, six million liters for sure as an industry. Mate, I, uh, as I feared we would, uh, this conversation could probably go into two or three uh, episodes, but uh, it was really a case uh, of, of touching base with you to see as you, as you launch a new uh, venture um, where you saw the market. But I'm, I think we'll probably uh, touch base again once you've, you've gotten out there to see, you know, uh, and, and got your hands under the wheel of a couple of breweries to see where you see the market at. So, Nick Boots, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say, just any observations you'd like to make uh, on, on the industry um, on a more positive note? <laughs> oh, mate, look, I am um, I am still uber positive about the, the shape of the industry and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have launched you know, the business of beer. Uh, consulting if I if I didn't feel that uh, and having you know had a look again on under the bonnet of another one of the the, the big brewers uh, so I've had time now with both of them you know I I still firmly believe that the future for for independent beer and small brewers and broader more beverage producers is is really rosy because I think um, they have skills um, and um, and traits that the big guys can't replicate because of their scale and they've got lots of amazing resources uh, and people uh, that and and cogs that the small guys don't but I still think um, what made uh, the independent beer, uh, sector what it is now over the over the last 10 12 years of evolution um, those conditions still still remain in a different way and I can't see any reason why um, they can't continue to, to flourish at, at a similar rate to, to the past but there just needs to be a bit of consolidation I think and a bit of bedding down of uh, of things uh, now and get set up for a, for a strong future so I think it's rosy. Well, look again. As I said on the podcast last week, I think we're in we're in a bit of a reality check period, um, and uh, it, it it is refreshing to hear a consultant, um, you know, speaking openly you know, openly about the challenges. One of the quotes that I often come back to uh, from William Goldman is, "Life is pain. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something." So, for a consultant <laughs> to uh, <laughs> um, to sell the reality rather than the dream uh, is, is refreshing. Mate, it might be at my own detriment, but um, I, I'm a straight shooter, and I think that's what um, 
uh, that's what our industry uh, wants uh, to. So, yeah, if um, I'm certainly looking forward to to getting out there and working on the commercial side of um, yeah of as many brewing operations as I can. I'm by no means a brewer. There's a lot of rock star brewers out there. Um, but um, on the other stuff, if I can add some value, then um, uh, I'd love to. I think there is reality, and I you know I think. Um Part of the challenges that we're seeing in the brewery, uh, in, in the brewing industry, is people that have been sold the dream, not the reality of uh, the, the brewing industry. And it's uh, confronting some of those challenges um, is is the way forward. So, well, Nick, thank you very much for, for being very uh, forthright and frank um, in, in this conversation. All the best with the new business. Uh, now, where, where can, this isn't an ad, uh, but where can anyone find you who wants to find out a little bit more? Because I didn't actually have your new um, email address uh <laughs> to, to set up this uh, chat um mate um so the business of beer yes, is the name of the business website will go live in the next um couple of days the middle of april so depending on when when you air this uh mate might uh, should already be and then obviously on linkedin um and i know i'm on linkedin with so many of the industry as well um all my details are there uh, i'll be over at cbc i know you'll be there as well uh in the u.s in what will be a couple of weeks now and i'm and I think that's a really great example of of pausing um, to take a look at where the industry is at and and using that to to formulate um, some strategies going forward. Uh, I'm really looking forward to doing that and con- reconnecting with so many uh, of the Australian industry who I know will be there as well. Terrific, Nick Boots. Thank you very much for this conversation. Great, thanks, Matt. Cheers. And that was Nick Boots. Nick's website isn't operational as yet, but his email is in the show notes if you would like to get in touch with him and ask him any more. If you like this conversation and you would like to make sure that we can continue to deliver podcasts like this one, you can help us out. If you're a business that wants to reach professional brewers and brewery owners, we think that we're the most targeted way to do that. We have the conversations that the industry listens to. If you want to reach brewers, reach out to us at sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise your products. If you're a brewery, you can just take a subscription and there are a lot of benefits that come with that. We do provide our news for free, but if you take a paid subscription, you get a whole lot of premium content. If you're a listener, you can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting service. Join the conversation on the Brews News Facebook page at Radio Brews News or email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts or suggestions. We'll be back again this Friday with Brews News Week diving deeply into the news of the week. Thank you for being part of this conversation.